0: Wise men and women will always go in search to fulfill spiritual hunger. And those mysterious men from the east called magi, otherwise known as the wise men, traveled a great distance to worship the infant Jesus. Some of the most beautiful Christmas cards feature the crowned and robed three kings bearing gifts in gorgeous bejeweled boxes to the Christ child. Were there only three? Or is that number read into the Gospel account? And were they really kings or astrologers? This we do know. The Magi gifts presented to Jesus were extremely prophetic for our own spiritual search. The Jerusalem Channel is made with the support of you, our viewers. Thank you for watching. Shalom, I'm Christine Darg, and welcome to our ministry center here in the heart of the old city of Jerusalem. You owe it to yourself to visit this holy land. The Bible will just come alive in technicolor for you. Today, we can hop on a jet and be here within the same day. But the wise men exerted themselves for many months to arrive here. They went to considerable trouble, time and expense To pay homage to our Lord. Some scholars speculate that their journey lasted for two years. That's a picture of faith and perseverance. Today, since it's so quick and easy to visit the Holy Land, nevertheless, sadly, some are afraid and many are not willing to pay the price for the trip of a lifetime to see what the God of Israel is up to in these last days here in the land of the Bible, and to worship the King in his own homeland, Israel. So I urge you to follow the example of wise men from the past and head for the Holy Land. Now the term magi is the Latinized form of a Greek word used in Matthew's Gospel to describe the wise men who traveled that great distance from the East to worship the newborn Jewish king. The word magi is the plural of the Latin singular word magus, translated from the Persian. The magi were a select group of priests who were known as astrologers. You see, in their day, astrology was considered a science. Later, the term magi was applied to the occult and eventually led to the English word magic. The New International Version of the Bible uses the word magi in Matthew chapter 2, and verse 1, which states, that after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, magi from the east came to Jerusalem. However, the King James Version that I grew up with translates magi as wise men. The same translation of the word is applied to the wise men who were headed up by the prophet Daniel in the Hebrew Scriptures. According to Daniel 2.48, Daniel was made chief of the governors over all the magi, the wise men of Babylon. And in the New Testament, the same word, magus, or magus, is given as a title to describe the sorcerer, Simon Magus, in Acts chapter 8. If you don't know the incident, Simon Magus craved apostolic power to perform miracles. And he foolishly offered the apostles' money for God's power, as if that were possible. But he was scathingly rebuked by the apostle Peter. Simon Magus was considered the first heretic by the early church. Several English translations of the Bible refer to the wise men in Matthew chapter 2 outright as astrologers. But again, I need to emphasize that in those days, astrology was considered a proper study of the stars and didn't have the forbidden occult connotations that we're warned against in the Bible. Although the Magi are commonly referred to as kings, Bible scholars point out that there's nothing overtly in Matthew's gospel that implies that the mysterious visitors were royal rulers per se. Some scholars believe that the identification of the Magi as kings is a link to prophecies in the Hebrew scriptures that predicted that the Messiah will be worshipped by kings. For example, Psalm 72, verse 10 declares, Yea, all kings shall fall down before him. All nations serve him. Another psalm, Psalm 68 and verse 29 prophesies, Because of your temple at Jerusalem, kings will bring you gifts. And one of my favorites, Isaiah 63, is such a beautiful and lofty verse, and it also declares, nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. So the Magi were elevated to the status of kings because early readers interpreted Matthew in light of those prophecies. According to my research by AD 500, All commentators adopted the tradition that the three magi were kings, but the reformer, John Calvin, was vehemently opposed to referring to the magi as kings. And again, we don't know if there were three. It's just assumed they were three by the gifts that were brought. By the 6th century, they even had names given to them like Balthazar, Melchior, and Gaspar. Some traditions even associated them with the three sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, to represent Asia, Africa, and Europe all coming to the Lord. A 14th century Armenian tradition identified them as the king of Arabia, the king of Persia, and the king of India. Even if that tradition is apocryphal, I like it because I love ministering in those countries and regions. However, other commentators have pointed out a biblical reference linking magi with royalty. Various kings in the ancient world frequently consulted these wise men because of their skill in interpreting omens, signs, and of course the stars. The Persians and their magi appear in not only the days of Daniel, but also in the days of Queen Esther in the Bible. And one particular statement concerning King Xerxes' magi is found in Esther chapter 1 and verses 13 and 14. And that verse says, The king said to the wise men who knew the times, the men who sat next to him, being the seven princes of Persia and Media, who saw the king's face and sat first in the kingdom, So here in this passage, we have it that these seven princes were called magi. So they were described as both wise men and royal princes. This reading gives us some insight that the commentators were not so far off when they referred to the wise men who visited Jesus as kings. Because these biblical magi that I've just mentioned from the east in the book of Esther were royal and they were also dreamers and interpreters of omens. While through the centuries, various commentators have interpreted the adoration of the Magi and shepherds as the ones who first recognized the Messiah as the Redeemer. The shepherds represent the Jewish race, and the kings or the Magi represent the Gentiles. Although the Manger scenes depict both shepherds and wise men, according to the Bible narrative. The visit of the wise men was a separate occasion from the nativity. This group of distinguished foreigners who visited Jesus came with hugely symbolic gifts. And we're grateful to the gospel writer, Matthew, for including this very precious detail. It says they brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And as I said, although the account doesn't mention the number of the Magi, the three gifts led to the widespread assumption that these were three visitors. According to Matthew, and Matthew is the only Gospel writer amongst the four Gospels who mentions the Magi, they came specifically from the east to worship the king of the Jews, not from the north, south, or west. They came from the east. They had beheld the miraculous star of Jacob, as was prophesied in the Torah in Numbers 24, 17. That important prophecy says, a star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It's interesting that according to rabbinic literature, there will be a bright star in the east called the star of Messiah, the week in which Messiah is born. I also learned in my research that the prophet Balaam whose narrative is found in Numbers 22 to 24, and who prophesied about the story of the Messiah, was described by the first century Jewish historian Philo as a magus, or a magi, a member of the magi. Many of the early church fathers saw great significance in wise men bringing gold, frankincense, and myrrh from the East. For example, Justin Martyr, Clement of Alexandria and Tertullian. They all noted that these gifts were, of course, particularly Arabian in nature. And later on in the Reformation, Martin Luther agreed. As Luther read Matthew chapter 2, he was reminded that foreigners from Arabia bringing gifts and seeking wisdom in Jerusalem had happened before, when the Queen of Sheba had brought presents from the Arabian Peninsula to King Solomon. In fact, the wise men of Matthew chapter 2 reminds us of the narrative in 1 Kings chapter 10 in the Hebrew Scriptures, which says, when the queen of Sheba heard about the fame of Solomon and his relationship to the Lord, she came to test Solomon with hard questions. Arriving at Jerusalem with a very great caravan with camels carrying spices and large quantities of gold and precious stones, She came to Solomon and talked with him about all that was on her mind. And during her visit, the depth of Solomon's wisdom took her breath away. She exclaimed, in wisdom and wealth, you have far exceeded every report I've heard. So laying her gifts of gold, spice, and precious stones before him, she praised God for setting Solomon on the throne of Israel. So as early as the second century, Tertullian considered the Magi to be kings like that. He connected the dots and argued that their visit fulfilled Solomon's own prayer in Psalm to 10. May the kings of Sheba and Seba present him gifts. But the church father, Tertullian, found that beautiful passage in Isaiah 60 to be the most compelling evidence It says, nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn and all from Sheba will come bearing gold and incense and proclaiming the praise of the Lord. Well, it's wonderful to to discover these parallels that Matthew was astute to record in Matthew chapter 2. The king's bringing Arabian treasures back to Jerusalem. One commentator wrote that the wise men's visit signaled the beginning of the restoration of David's wealth, a foresight of the rebuilding of David's city and the rejoicing of David's people. Not only were these mysterious gifts provision for the holy family's escape into Egypt from the jealous, murderous King Herod, but the gifts were also deeply prophetic pictures of Yeshua's three offices as king, high priest, and savior. So let's consider gift number one. Gold represented the office of King Messiah, the king. Costly in all cultures and times, the gift of gold said to the Messiah in front of his earthly guardians, the holy family, you baby Jesus are born to be king. Jesus of the lineage of David from the tribe of Judah was after all great David's greater son. And what was the meaning of the second gift? Frankincense. Well, frankincense represents the Lord's office of our intercessory high priest. Even now, he's seated at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for every believer. Jesus is our high priest. After the eternal order of Melchizedek, we recognize the word incense in the name frankincense. Ancient peoples burned frankincense in the hopes of carrying their prayers to heaven, and the Levitical priests were responsible for God's incense. Therefore, the gift of frankincense was a message to the Messiah, you will be the high priest. And we see all these references in the book of Hebrews, chapter 3 and so forth. I'm sure Mary, the mother of Jesus, who was a prophetess, discussed these gifts with the Lord as she was bringing him up and she was sure to strengthen him with the stories of his mysterious birth and the gifts so that when Jesus pondered his own mission, he knew that gold represented his kingship and frankincense represented his high priestly office. But what about the third gift? Myrrh was given as a prophecy of the Lord's office as savior of the world. Frankincense is a resin, and myrrh is also a resin from trees in semi-desert regions of North Africa and Arabia. In fact, myrrh is very prophetic because it's an Arabic word for bitter. He was a king, but his life was gonna be bitter. Myrrh was used as a burial ointment to embalm the Egyptian mummies while gold and frankincense were gifts of exaltation for the son of David, myrrh spoke of the suffering servant as recorded in Isaiah chapter 53. Myrrh said to Jesus, you are born to die for the world. In fact, in the Gospel of John, this is so fascinating to me, in chapter 19 and verse 39, it gives us the precious detail that myrrh was one of the burial spices of our Lord's body. So the gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh were prophetic, speaking of our Lord's three offices as king, priest, and savior. Gold spoke of his kingship. Frankincense was a spice used in the priestly duties, and myrrh was for the embalmment of his holy body. But I also learned something wonderful in my studies this week, that when Jesus returns to restore the Davidic throne during the millennium, he will once again receive the gifts of gold and frankincense, but not myrrh. Isaiah 60 verse 6 proclaims this about the millennium. Vast caravans of camels will come to you, the camels of Midian and Ephah. All those from Sheba will bring gold and frankincense and will come worshiping the Lord. But notice, they bring gold and frankincense, but this time there's no myrrh brought to him during the millennium. No myrrh, because his death, his sacrifice was once and for all, for the world. Hallelujah. Well, most manger scenes show together the magi, the wise men with the shepherds, But most Bible scholars teach that the Magi didn't come until sometime later, up to two years later, after Messiah's presentation in the temple. They met the Holy Family, not in a stable, but now they're living in a house, according to Matthew chapter 2 and verse 9. So Yeshua would have been a toddler when the Magi came and worshipped him and presented Those prophetic gifts. Now, by the way, uh, about the feast of Epiphany, which is associated with the wise men, by definition, an epiphany is a manifestation, usually of divine power. And that's why January 6th is named Epiphany, to commemorate the manifestation of the Messiah to the Gentiles, to the persons of the wise men. The word Epiphany also means a sudden revelation a sudden intuitive perception. So although the Magi thought that they were coming to worship the king, they worshipped him on the spot by revelation as the Son of God. The church festival of Epiphany, which commemorates the arrival of the wise men in Bethlehem, is traditionally celebrated in January in Western Christian calendars. The holiday of Epiphany is known as the 12th day of Christmas, or Three Kings Day, because it celebrates the visit of the wise men. Among Eastern Christians, Epiphany also celebrates Jesus' baptism. Well, let's turn now to understanding more the Magi and how they would have been prepared to search out the Savior. These things didn't happen in a vacuum, but the Holy Spirit had prepared the way for them. In the book of Daniel, we learn that the prophet Daniel and his companions spent 70 years exiled amongst the magi in the east. King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon was in the habit of gathering the best and brightest from his vanquished enemies into an advisory council of wise men, dreamers, stargazers, and interpreters of dreams. When he captured Daniel and Daniel's companions, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, King Nebuchadnezzar assigned them with his Babylonian magi and gave them new names. But according to Daniel 1.20, In every matter of wisdom and understanding, the king found them to be ten times better and wiser than all the magicians and enchanters in his kingdom." For example, in one episode in Daniel, chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar experienced an ominous dream, a dream about world history. He summoned his magi and he demanded, he said, if you don't tell me the meaning of my dream, I'll have you cut into pieces and your house is destroyed. The king's magi couldn't interpret it. They were absolutely baffled. But Daniel rescued them by receiving the interpretation from the Lord. In great gratitude, the king placed Daniel in a high position and lavished gifts upon him. And he was made ruler over the entire province of Babylon. And Daniel was placed in charge of the Magi. Now, I find this fascinating that according to Bible teacher Chuck Missler, the ancient Magi as a hereditary priesthood were credited with profound and extraordinary religious knowledge. Darius the Great established them over the state religion of Persia. And according to Missler, contrary to popular belief, the Magi were not originally followers of Zoroastra. That came later. One of the titles given to Daniel in Babylon was Rab Maj, Chief Magian. In other words, the chief of the Magi. As a statesman par excellence, his amazing career included being the principal administrator in two world empires, the Babylonian and the subsequent Persian Empire. So when King Darius appointed Daniel, a Jew, over the previously hereditary priesthood, there were jealous repercussions. The Magi plotted against him to get Daniel thrown into the lion's den. But here's the thing. After Daniel was vindicated and rescued and reinstated, Missler and other Bible teachers believe that Daniel entrusted the messianic vision to be announced in due time by a star to the Magi. And these Magi never forgot it, and they waited and watched for the star through the generations. Living six centuries before the birth of the Messiah, Daniel certainly received a massive portion of key. Messianic prophecies, and he was given by the angel Gabriel a Messianic timeline. In addition to several overviews of Gentile world history, Gabriel told him the precise day that Jesus would present himself here in Jerusalem as king. And that's found in Daniel chapter 9. So it's interesting that Daniel's founding of a secret sect of the Magi also had a role in having these prominent Gentiles present gifts at the birth of the Jewish Messiah. In their dual capacities as priests and governmental officers, the Magi were involved also in the election of the king of the realm. So, Missler says they were kingmakers. It was kingmakers who entered Jerusalem during the reign of the aging King Herod. They demanded in Matthew chapter 2 to know Where is he who was born king of the Jews? So nervously consulting his scribes, Herod discovered from the prophecies in the Hebrew scriptures that the promised one, the Messiah, would be born in Bethlehem. The jealous king responded by slaughtering Bethlehem's innocence. But being warned in a dream, Joseph had escaped with Mary and the Christ child into Egypt after the visit of the Magi. I found an interesting footnote from Bible scholar Brent Landau, who recently translated into English an apocryphal account of the traditional Christmas story that purports to have been written by the Magi themselves. The name of the account is the Revelation of the Magi. The account was preserved in an 8th century Syriac manuscript held in the Vatican Library. Although Landau believes that the earliest versions of the text may have been written as early as the mid-second century that would be less than a 100 years after Matthew's gospel was written. The Revelation of the Magi narrates the mystical origins of the Magi, their miraculous encounter with the luminous star and their equally miraculous journey to Bethlehem to worship the child. Then the Magi return home and preach the Messiah Jesus to their own brethren Ultimately, they're baptized by the apostle Thomas who was sent by Jesus to evangelize in the east. According to Landau, this dramatic account not only answers the question, who were the Magi, but also provides details about how many there really were, where they came from, and their mysterious encounter with the star that led them to Bethlehem. As a group, they numbered as few as 12, and in as many as 20, And they were monk-like mystics from the far-off eastern land who purported to be descendants of Seth, the righteous third son of Adam and guardians of the age-old prophecy that a star of indescribable brightness would appear to herald the birth of God in human form. Well, I think after all of this that one of the great lessons of the Magi is that they remind us that God has his true servants in surprising places, often outside of our religious circles. Indeed, as Elijah the prophet learned when he fled to the cave at Mount Sinai, the Lord has his hidden ones who seek him and who belong to him. We don't know them, but God does. As 2 Timothy 2.19 states, the Lord knows those who are his Those wise men went to great lengths to find the Messiah, and you need to find him in your heart. Wise men still seek him, so don't put off that life-changing moment to be redeemed and born again. That's why you need to believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord of your life. Then you can face tomorrow without fear and with the confidence that you are now and for eternity part of God's kingdom. Meanwhile, I invite you to feel free to write to me with any questions or comments. I do hope you'll continue to join me in Jerusalem through our video programs. And please stay in touch through social media and our website, exploits.tv, where you can sign up to receive our electronic newsletter, Exploits. And so until next time, always contending for the faith and praying earnestly for the peace of Jerusalem. I'm Christine Darg. Maranatha and Shalom.